I'm Chavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. We are going to be all right. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. So glad to have you with us in this hour. Uh, I mentioned this a couple hours ago. want to mention it once again. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all your support. Uh, during Black History Month, we, uh, we ran off a litany of things. We had a busy, busy month. From rapping trains to launching new shows to Les Brown's radio residency to a radio play yesterday called The Return, focusing on Malcolm and Martin. Uh, a lot happened uh, in uh, the month of February to a wealth seminar at, at uh, Chase Community Center. It was a very, very busy month, and we closed it out yesterday uh, with a luncheon uh, in West Hollywood at the London Hotel celebrating these black legends in L.A. media, Pat Harvey, Jim Hill, Mark Brown, Leslie Sykes, Sandy Banks from the L.A. Times, and Pat Prescott. We honor these great um, uh, black folk, these great Americans, these great um, icons in uh, local media here yesterday. It was an amazing event. Uh, Mayor Bass came out to hang out with us and celebrate these personalities as well. So go to any of our socials. Trust me, the pictures and photos and video, there's stuff everywhere now. Um, you can go on any of our platforms and check out some photos and see what an amazing day uh, it was yesterday as we closed out Black History Month with that luncheon honoring these local black media legends. Uh, I think you can tell from the photos. You'll see all the love just oozing from the photos um, uh, of our event yesterday. So it was a great month of February, and now we're into Women's History Month. And so we started our first hour today uh, with Dr. K. Whitehead talking about the role of black women in history. So um, we'll be uh, moving through those issues in the month of March, focusing more expressly and specifically on the issues of women and black women in particular. So another busy month in front of us, but thank you for all your support of all of our efforts and events in the month of February. In this hour, a conversation uh, with internationally recognized scholar and LMU professor, Dr. Sean Anderson, about the black athlete revolt, the sport justice movement in the age of Black Lives Matter. It is his latest text. Uh, I laughed earlier, uh, uh, Dr. Anderson, because in our first hour, we had a professor from Loyola in Baltimore. Okay. And so <laughs> I had to make a distinction. Loyola in Baltimore is represented in the first hour. In the third hour, we represent LMU there we go. in L.A. Yeah. Dr. Anderson, how are you, sir? I'm great. I'm great. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Thanks for coming in to see us. Let me start with this. Um, okay. Speaking of this return, we did, a, we did a radio play yesterday called The Return. So it's basically Martin and Malcolm coming back to Earth right. 50 years after the assassination Okay. to sit with a guy named Tavis Smiley mm-hmm. for a one-hour conversation. They're only on Earth for one hour. Okay. They choose to come see me, and we have a conversation about a variety of contemporary issues. And one of the issues that came up in that play yesterday um, was Dr. King raised it, Malcolm commented on it, um, about their sort of, you know, the, the, the trouble that they're having yeah. as they look down and see all these black athletes mm-hmm. and entertainers making all this money yeah. when they're on top. And then a couple of years later after they retire, they're yeah. bankrupt. Yeah. They're broke. Uh-huh. Uh, and King had something uh, in character to say that say about that yesterday. And again, as I said, Malcolm commented on it. So let me just start with this broad question. Right. And that is whether or not you think black athletes writ large get a bum rap. Ooh, that's a great question. Mm. I, I, I think so. Um, you know, especially in today's society, you mm. know, uh, uh, we think about the dormancy of athlete activism, for example, back in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm where they did not talk about social issues. But now athletes of today are talking about, okay, well, if you're not going to set up my future, Mm -hmm. I'm going to establish a business. I'm going to 
um, get into this media business. I'm going to establish schools. I'm going to establish um, things that my family can be secure with, mm-hmm. you know, years from now. We think about Colin Kaepernick, who, of course, was blackballed from the NFL. Mm-hmm. But he created a whole website about Know Your Rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had all the information about all the places he's donated money to and all those things. And so we spend too much con- too much time, I think, concentrating on the negative, mm-hmm. And we don't see how they're really working to try to change uh, things going forward. It's not. It hasn't been a perfect movement, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. It hasn't been, um, you know, the the, the push that we want to see. Mm-hmm. But we are getting there, and and we are seeing them making strides yep. at this point. I take your point, and I'm, I'm, I'm I want to play devil's advocate just for yep, a second. Absolutely. When I saw the book uh, come across my desk, and we wanted to have you on as a guest, um, what got my attention was the title of the text. Yeah. The Black Athlete Revolt. Yes. Uh, subtitle, The Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter. But back to that title, The Black Athlete Revolt. Yep. Even if I, and I'm just going to debate you here. Sure, sure, sure. Even if I grant you that you're right, that we, you know, give these athletes a, a hard time, yep. that we don't focus on the on the a positive, we're always accentuating the negative, I'm not sure I would say that these Negroes are involved in a revolt. <laughs> that word jumped out at me. So tell me sure. t- tell me why I'm wrong about this and you're right. It's your book. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I... I this book is actually an homage to Dr. Harry Edwards, uh, sure. his book back in the day, The Revolt of the Black Athlete. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, then we saw much more of a, a campaign for equal rights, human mm-hmm. rights and mm-hmm. all those things back then. Um, but as we know today, you know, times are different. Not saying that racism hasn't gone away, but the way that we handle it, the way we talk about it is different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I take this from the consideration of the hashtag Black Lives Matter movement, which, you know, we're in the 10 year anniversary of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And we and I take this also uh, from the late great poet uh, Rick James. Mm. Twitter is a hell of a drug. Right. (laughs) 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 So People, whether they are on the left, on the right or Mm -hmm. indifferent, use that platform to spread their message. And I think athletes have taken that that platform. Um, along with other social media outlets sure, sure. to now engage in conversations that are moving from protests to conversations on policy reform, you know, and all those things, um, criminal justice reform, um, going in, talking with um, local grassroots leaders, um, making partnerships with organizations such as the Vera Institute of New York mm-hmm. to say, okay, how can I use my money, my wealth and my power to Get us, you know, beyond the marching, which is great and it's sure, fine. Sure. But how can we go to our local legislators and say we need these laws and these communities to help create yeah. change? And in that sense, I see it as a revolt. Just getting started. You acquitted yourself nicely. <laughs> you acquitted yourself nicely in that response. Just getting started in right. this hour with uh, Sean M. Anderson, professor at LMU uh, here in Los Angeles. Uh, the book is called The Black Athlete Revolt, The Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter. And trust me, i got a whole lot more questions for him. Oh, yeah. Let's do and it. I know he's got some answers. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. He belong here, and we're glad to have you here with us today. Glad to have him here as well. Him would be Dr. Sean Anderson, professor at LMU here in Southern California. His book is called The Black Athlete Revolt, The Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter. To the extent, Dr. Anderson, you argue in the text that there has been a revitalization 
uh, of black athlete activism on what do you base that? So, you know, again, uh, we have seen where the commercialization of, of sports has caused many athletes to say, I'm not going to lose this paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, whatever this owner or whatever this commissioner says, mm-hmm. you know, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. I may not like it, but for the sake of me not losing my well-being, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep quiet. But the thing is, I, I think we've seen a shift in society. We could even take it back to Occupy Wall Street, for mm-hmm. example, and people holding organizations accountable for their missteps. And so the Black Lives Matter movement, the Me Too movement, were just some of those mm-hmm. that, that sort of, you know, catalyzed that. <clears throat> and so then, in essence, the revitalization comes from the fact that, you know, athletes, again, began to demonstrate. We saw back when the St. Louis Rams were um, dealing with the situation in Ferguson and they did the hands up, don't shoot demonstration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Trayvon Martin hoodie, the mm-hmm. Miami Heat put that all on. And so, you know, more high profile athletes began to speak out about um, these issues, not necessarily worrying about their, their pockets, right? Um, which was then, you know, I'll say a, a, a good thing, a revitalization in, in and of itself, you know, not the Muhammad Ali, mm. you know, version, you know, of course, um, the things that they had to go through, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, um, Althea Gibson, all of those mm-hmm. from the civil rights movement. But the revitalization is that in which now several high profile athletes are saying, OK, enough is enough. We need to do something. Uh, we need to figure it out. We're not going to change anything tomorrow, but this is the mm. impact that we're trying to have. I wonder whether or not you think that revitalization of uh, activism by these black athletes today is more, how might I put this, is it more symbolic or more substantive? And I ask that because you're right. Uh, back in the day of Ali and Jim Brown and Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kurt Flood and all those who were at that table for that famous photo, mm-hmm. Uh, around Ali, uh, they didn't have social media then. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I fear, and I don't want to bag. I'm not, I'm not bagging on athletes right now. I'm, I'm bagging on all of us. Sure. Uh, I, I fear that we become sort of you know radio revolutionaries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we become armchair revolutionaries. Yes. Um, we can tweet stuff out all day long, post stuff all day long, but it ain't you know. Sometimes we're doing it anonymously. Mm-hmm. Many of us are. Most of us mm-hmm. are. So you know, you can talk a bunch of stuff on on the internet. But don't nobody know you. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't taking no risk. Yeah. You're doing it under an anonymous or an assumed name. Sure. Uh, and so, yeah, people have a lot to say about a lot of things. And as a personality, you know, I've been subjected to people coming at me for X, Y, or Z. Right. Well, you see me every day. Yeah. Negro, c- come on, Cletus. <laughs> come on, come on, Cletus. Come on, Cletus. Yeah. I mean, you know where I am. You can see me. People run into me here and there. Yeah. But you can take shots at me online. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you live. Yeah. You know, and I can't, I can't, I'm not going to engage you in that regard. So my point is that no matter how you look at it, Social media, to your early point, has changed the game. Yeah. So I'm, I'm asking, to, since you raised that as, uh, as, a, as a subject of conversation, whether or not this new black activism, this revitalization of black, athlete, uh, uh, black athletic activism is more symbolic or is it more substantive? You know, I think it's split mm-hmm. um, because I have to agree with you. You know, um, even now in the day of Twitter, you know, you could buy your 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 um, buy your official, followers, buy your followers. You yeah. know, pay the hundred dollars a month. Exactly. Here you go, you're official. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's it's. I think for many of them who see something that happens in the media, and then mm-hmm. immediately they say, "Oh man, this is a tragedy to Black America." Hashtag you know woke and all that. Mm-hmm. It it it. 
it's it's good to speak about it, but mm. then if there is no type of movement beyond that, then yeah, it's 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 symbolic. Um, we've seen some again actions that are in the media that have been taking place, but more of the stuff is outside of the media. You you have to go and talk to grassroots organizations and and local municipalities mm-hmm. to talk about the things that they're doing. Uh, for example. Um, Karan Butler, who was, of course, an NBA All-Star, current coach for the Miami Heat, Mm -hmm. um, has done a lot in trying to um, eradicate, um, you know, criminal justice issues in the state of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. But that's not talked about because, you know, again, maybe he doesn't want to be on social media, whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. But, yeah, there are some symbolic actions there that, that I think can be improved if we, you know, we're bold enough to yeah. talk about those things. Let me just ask you: We're in, we're in, we're in NBA season right now, yep. and uh, headed toward the playoffs. Lakers trying to see if they can make it in <laughs> with that with that injury to LeBron. Miles, yep. I'm not sure it's going to happen. Um, the Lakers <laughs> are trying to make it into the into the uh, into the playoffs here. Yeah. Um, but since we're in the NBA season, how does Kyrie Irving specifically? fit into your matrix. I've been listening to you already. Of course, yep. I've gone through your text. Yep. And I'm like, I got to ask him, how does Kyrie fit into this? Because on the one hand, as you said earlier, there are athletes who are bold enough to not care about their purse, yeah. but they speak their mind. Yeah. Uh, agree or disagree, like or loathe, they speak their mind. Right. And some folk agree and some folk come after them. Yeah. Um, there are other folk, though, who you know want to stay away from that or they do stuff sort of anonymously. So there are a number of different ways to read this, but Kyrie seems to just upend everything. And I don't know how you situate him (laughs) in this moment of the black athlete revolt. So talk to me about how Kyrie fits into your frame. You know, it's interesting because Kyrie, uh, when he was with the Nets um, and during all the COVID, you know, Mm -hmm. he took that time off. He went to my home state of Arkansas to to check out Central and all those things and museums back there Mm -hmm. to try to become educated on, um, you know, several things. And, Many may say, oh, well, well, you need to just slow down a little bit because mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know what you're talking about on this, but you're good with that. And so, you know, f- for many in, in, in this day and age, you know, people may just come to the conclusion that they're indifferent about them because, you know, the whole um, Amazon, you know, sharing of the documentary, you know, that was mm-hmm. a big thing against him. What I will say about Kyrie, though, is that <clears throat> he stands firm on – if he said something wrong, he'll apologize. Mm-hmm. But then he'll say, okay, I've apologized enough. What else do you want me to do? I'm mm-hmm. not going to continue to talk about this. Um, I'm just going to continue to play the game, which he is still a top-tier talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that, that's, the, that's the imperfection of what I see in the movement at mm-hmm. this juncture, that there may be a lot of things that these athletes are caring for, but they don't have enough information on one side to talk about it. But on the other, they can do that. And so I I actually believe that it would be great for many of these athletes to have a maybe a sociologist or a psychologist, you know, whether, whether it's talking about mental health or something mm-hmm. like that, to be at their side, to give them information, to give them the data, to give them the understanding of what's going on in a particular cause they care about. Then... They can go out and say things, but right now it's it's it you know it's a little controversial. You know, I I, I hear your point, and that's 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 a great idea. The, the only the only pushback I would give for that yep. is that we live. We discuss this all the time around here. We are we are in the midst right now of living in a dumbed down demos. That's true. The entire demos is dumbed down. Yep. Politicians are dumbed down. 
You can't get much dumber than Donald Trump when he was in the White House. And he was the president, right? Yeah. So politicians are dumbed down. Corporations are dumbed down. Everyday people are dumbed down. Our conversation is dumbed down. And I'm not sure I think it's fair to ask athletes to be any smarter. Put that in air quotes. If you're on live stream, you can see me. I don't know that it's fair to ask athletes to be any smarter, to be any more well-versed, to be any more educated than the rest of us. Now, They catch it when they get stuff wrong, right? When they're inaccurate. But I'm, I guess my point, the point I'm trying to make here is that's a symptom of a much of a much larger problem, and they're not, they're not the only ones who are guilty of this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense yeah. totally. <laughs> you know, it, it, you speak a point because athletes, I mean, they got to worry about the taxes that they got to pay in every state that they play in. Sure. So how are they going to, you know, focus on um, um, these issues? I, I, I think then that's the case that you know, would help them instead of, you know, saying uh, a LeBron or somebody else tweeting out something. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, 70% of his fan base, oh, man, what you talking about? Stick mm-hmm. to sports it's, and all that yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Shut, uh, shut up and dribble. Was, shut up and dribble. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which is a going thing, which which trips me out because the people that say that online are, are also armchair politicians, mm-hmm. too, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, that makes sense. And it, it, it they need. That person on retainer, I believe, at this point, mm-hmm. to help them see and navigate those things as they go. Because, you know, at the end of the day, this is also a PR game when you're talking about yeah. social media and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day. I don't know how we got into it. We talked about the, yep. the OJ trial all these years later. Okay. And the point was being made in this conversation, which is no surprise to anybody listening to this program. We, we know what we lived through it, that there were a lot of good white folk who were hiding behind the veil of a not guilty verdict to essentially express the racism (laughs) that they already felt anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, you can, you can go after OJ. This is wrong. A guilty man got off. Okay. 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 Um, but is that really what's got you upset or is this just a moment where you can use this, you know, situation to really express and espouse what you feel about black folk anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I raise that as a comparative example because I want to get your take on when people do say stuff like, just shut up and dribble when people do come after black athletes to what extent these days do you think that that's tinged or maybe even animated by racism versus a legitimate critique of said black athlete yeah no no that's that's uh um uh, absolutely a, a tinge of racism you know when mm-hmm. it comes to that that sort of language you know this even takes me back to um bill roden's book the 40 million dollar slave oh, love, right? love, yeah, love, that, love book, that love bill Absol- love the book yeah, Absol- absolutely sure. yeah and so, you know, it's, it's just another uh, instance of coded language, mm-hmm. you know, another instance of saying that, you know, you, you don't matter. Um, I was <laughs> speaking of Twitter. I was looking at this post um, about that an athlete put up uh, with the Atlanta Hawks. And he was talking about how, um, you know, he's going to come to this certain city and, we, you know, we're going to bust this team up, all this stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then there was a fan that came on after him and said, well, you know, uh, well, no matter what you do, um, and he was talking about load management and all mm-hmm. that stuff too. And he, and this fan was like, "Well, no matter what you do, you know, I'm paying your salary by getting these season tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, I own you. Mm-hmm. You know, there you mm-hmm. go. <laughs> There's a lot that you mm-hmm. can pull from that. And so it definitely is a situation to where many of the people that say these things are basically saying, "Hey, good boy, you know, stay in your place. Mm-hmm. Don't get involved in here with the big boys. Sit down." We'll pay you your little money while you make us our billions. Mm-hmm. That's what I see. I felt the same way. Let me, let me just bring it closer to home. I felt the same way. Um, 
you give an example from Twitter. Let me give you a real life example. Okay. Um, I don't fancy Dan Gilbert. The owner of the Cavaliers, uh-huh. the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I don't—I'm not—I'm not a fan of Dan Gilbert primarily because I didn't like the way he languaged his public statements when LeBron left Cleveland to take his talents to South Beach. Right, right, right. Uh, go back and look at what Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, said then mm-hmm. about LeBron James, and that got awfully close. You just call him, just call him a straight nigga. It, yeah. it just got that close, nigga. Yeah. I own you. That's how, I mean, it, it was. He didn't step across the line, but he had chalk on his shoes, oh, yeah, right? There you go. Yeah. That's how close Dan Gilbert got back then when LeBron again took his talents to South Beach, and he's an owner of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you're, there are other owners since then. You know, we, we can go to Don Sterling with the Clippers, yeah. and we can, there's a long list of owners right. who behave in ways. I mean, the the accusations, allegations against. Uh, the owner of the Miami Dolphins and right. why uh, the brother didn't get the head coaching job. I yeah. mean, so owners are involved in this as well. So we've talked about the public's reaction to these athletes. Talk to me about the ways in which ownership, obviously white ownership, yeah. has or is responding to what you call the black athlete revolt in real time. That is the great question. That is the system that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was listening to uh, D. Murray Smith talk about um, the, the executive director of the NFLPA mm-hmm. talk about why is it that when the players win the Super Bowl, the first person that touches the trophy is the owner, mm-hmm. right? Um, owners are, in this sense, saying that, why do I need to change? You're talking about Dan Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, once LeBron is said and done, he's got a few years left, still one of the greatest players on the planet, probably, mm-hmm. if not the best. But LeBron is gone. Another talent is going to come in. Dan, Dan Gilbert is going to stay there and mm-hmm. pass that down to his children at, sure. at some point sure. so while these athletes are calling out the owners you know I, I i think the owners of course especially in leagues like the nfl are taking their sweet time because how can you fail when one side of uh the political spectrum says oh i'm gonna boycott this game because kaepernick is not playing anymore and the other side says Oh, I'm going to boycott because, you know, I'm tired of these black folk kneeling. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're saying that, but then a month or two later, (laughs) the ratings are back up. You're Mm -hmm. not losing anything. Mm -hmm. So why should they even push uh, the envelope? But what's going to happen or what needs to happen, if you're talking about making progression in the sport, Mm -hmm. equity and all, is the ownership of... Black folk coming into the game. Oh, that, oh, that thought. Okay. I, want, I want to come right okay. to that. I want to come right to that. Right. You're, you're prescient and prophetic. <laughs> I was just about to go there because the ultimate question for me is when we're talking in this uh, in this hour about the revitalization of uh, athlete activism, when we're talking about this new book by Sean Anderson, uh, professor at LMU, The Black Athlete Revolt. Um, speaking of revolt, the ultimate revolt would be black ownership. Yes. And I want to come to that like and ask specifically and directly and unapologetically how black ownership would change the game how black ownership would then change the book you've written about the black athlete revolt a lot more to get to our guest is lmu sean m anderson you're listening to him right now on kbla talk 1580 say the quiet part out loud kbla talk 1580 we're delighted to have uh, LMU professor uh, Sean M. Anderson in the studio right now. His book is called The Black Athlete Revolt. 
the sport justice movement in the age of Black Lives Matter. He and I were talking about so many things during the break, uh, and that's why you shouldn't do that because uh, you got to re- reprise that stuff on the air. Yeah. Uh, I usually tell folks during the break, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me, because <laughs> when you say it on the air again, it doesn't have the same uh yeah, yeah, that it yeah. had the first time you said it. But we were talking, though, about ownership. Let's go to there first. Uh, and how this notion of a revitalized you know, athlete activism, and I grant you we're seeing a lot of that now. Mm-hmm. There's a great photo on the cover of the book with an athlete who has Black Lives Matter written on his shoes. Um, and so um, I assume those are his shoes. And if not, the sister got big feet. So I, I'm assuming they're his shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great photo. Okay. But the book is called, again, The Black uh, Athlete Revolt. And we were just teeing up this conversation uh, about the penultimate conversation, uh, which is how black ownership would change or impact whatever revitalization we think we are experiencing when it comes to black athlete activism. Yeah. You know, ownership, uh, front office, mm-hmm. right? General managers of VP of operations, you know, those things are needed because I mean, you know, you think about the Dallas Cowboys, you mm-hmm. know, I, I have a, a lot of homies in Arkansas, you know, of course, Arkansas does have a pro team. That's the next team to, to go mm-hmm. for. And I'm, probably the more anti mm. <laughs> of that movement as far as like fandom is concerned. But mm-hmm. this team is the highest valued team in the NFL. That's called, that's called it's America's team. It's America's team. <laughs> and Jerry Jones is as much popular <laughs> as the team itself. But again, from Arkansas, from Arkansas, your home state. Exactly. Got in some and, trouble a while ago. Yeah. A few, a few uh, yeah. instances. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, that's the thing, right? That stuff is, sent out but it's swept away mm-hmm. at some point but you know at some point he, he's what, 80 years old he's been the general manager the owner all this stuff for the last 20 30 years he's going to pass that down mm-hmm. to one of his children and so we don't have that type of platform in any sport you know i i, I honestly believe michael jordan was able to get his ownership role because he's michael jordan mm-hmm. right um but this is this is a funny thing, Tavis. <clears throat> I was in class. I was teaching a class about a year ago, and it was a student that wanted to talk to me. She she was devastated. She couldn't, you know, um, do her work. It was just a lot going on, family mm-hmm. stuff. And so she came to me, and of course I can't mention her name. Mm-hmm. But she was like, "I'm devastated because my my family is losing our team." And I was like, "Okay, so this is an interesting conversation." Mm. So she went on to say. That, you know, her family was having to sell the Denver Broncos. And I was like, whoa, what, what, what kind mm. of students am I teaching right now, first of all? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were a lot of people, including some black folk, you know, Byron Allen and others who mm-hmm. were trying to vie for that team. Mm-hmm. But when Walmart steps in, I mean, mm-hmm. who is going to back away? You know, we have Jeff Bezos, who's in conversations with the commanders. Mm-hmm. And so where can we get that sort of clout and connection to get into that box because that's going to be the next way that we see revolutionary change through ownership. But those barricades are are, are strong and you have to bring in a lot of power. Even Magic Johnson is is doing a lot, but you know, it still remains to be seen where these things can go. Two or three things, uh, given what you've just said. Number one, um, this came up yesterday in that radio play called The Return where Martin and Malcolm come back to earth. I, I, I come back to it because Again, a day after, I'm, I'm realizing now all the stuff that we did cover in that conversation yesterday and how it resonates with other conversations that I'm having uh, even today. Yep. Um, one of the things that came up was uh, 
Uh, Dr. King makes a comment about LeBron James in the conversation yesterday, and then he takes a shot at MJ. And I said, oh, man, shots fired, shots fired. <laughs> Pimp down. <laughs> MJ is down. And he made the point just sort of snidely, Dr. King did in the radio play yesterday, yeah. that uh, that uh, that uh, MJ, without calling his name, had said that he didn't get involved in politics because mm-hmm. Republicans buy tennis shoes too. Yeah. Remember that comment? Uh-huh. That thing was, whew, that was years ago. Yeah. But Michael said, I don't do politics. He was specifically being asked to get involved in the race for Harvey Gantt's Senate seat. Harvey Gantt, a brother who'd been mayor, for those who weren't around then, Miles and J.D. weren't around then. Uh, it was a brother named Harvey Gantt who was running for mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, running for, had been mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, right. and was running for United States Senate seat mm-hmm. against one of the most race, the most racist United States senator in the Senate, a guy named Jesse Helms. Helms was the most racist senator in the United States Senate. Harvey Gantt had been mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, and was running in a race against Jesse Helms and was doing very well in the polls. And everybody was getting behind Harvey Gantt in North Carolina. Where's Michael Jordan from? North Carolina. Where did he play basketball at? North Carolina. So everybody started asking Michael if Michael, this is Michael at the top of his game. Mm -hmm. He's killing it in the NBA. If Michael would come out and endorse Harvey Gantt, history could be made, and this racist Republican senator would finally get kicked out of the U.S. Senate. And Michael's response to being asked to get involved was, I can't get involved in politics. Because Republicans buy my tennis shoes, too. Yeah. Dr. King made reference to that in our conversation yesterday. Sure. Never mind, Michael. Michael's my boy. I like Michael. Um, never mind what he said then. He was still able to become an owner, to your point, because, mm-hmm. in fact, he's Michael Jordan. Yeah. But those hurdles that you mentioned are are, are real. Uh, and, um, again, I thought about that because it was just discussed yesterday in our in our conversation. What, what I don't like, though, is when black owners or others— um, think they can drag black athletes. Yep. So I said earlier, I didn't like Dan Gilbert for mm-hmm. dragging with his words LeBron when he took his talents to South Beach. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the way they dragged Kyrie Irving uh, in, in Brooklyn. Here's yep. my point. White athletes get in trouble, and the frame for how they apologize, express remorse, ask for forgiveness is a different frame. Yeah. The Negroes who get yeah. caught up in it. Yeah. The frame for the white guys ain't the same as the frame for Kyrie Irving. It ain't the same as the frame for LeBron James. It ain't the frame same as the frame for Michael Vick. Yeah. They were still protesting. Peter was still protesting. <laughs> yeah, at the games. I mean, his last season, they were still out there with the picket signs. I was like, man, what? And some of them were protesting you know? when he got a job at one of these sports networks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, during the Pro Bowl. Yeah. I mean, how, I mean, how long does it, how long does this go on? Will you protest Michael Vick 10, 15, 20, 30 years? I mean, does, does it happen until he dies? Right. I mean, it's just a different frame for black athletes. So as we're talking about the black athlete revolt, that revolt is still being met with a revolt of its own, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I didn't write about this in the book, but I've right. been thinking about it and I want to do it in other work. I call it the Tom Brady effect, right? Oh, yeah. So Tom Brady, you know, storied career, just retired, of course. Well, re-retired. The GOAT. The GOAT. Go. The GOAT. Yeah. Um, can't knock his career. Here's the thing. I, and I think a lot of uh, the, the, the commentators have created this sort of problem. When Terrell Owens was, you know, in his prime in the game, and I, I think he, he still left a little bit too early despite mm-hmm. the long career he had, still mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. When he would yell on the sidelines and, and try to pump his teammates up or do whatever he does, you know, 
he was called a team obliterator, a distraction, mm -hmm. uh, uh, a nuisance. You know, I would never put him on my team. But you literally see Tom Brady yelling at a ref, yelling at his teammates on the sidelines. And, and, throw, and, throwing, that, and throwing those expensive laptops. Throwing those expensive and laptops. And breaking them. And breaking them. <laughs> yeah. And the commentary is, oh, he's a leader. You, you should not dare talk back to him or, you know, put him down because he's – if you have him, he's a winner. Well, I mean mm – -hmm. Terrell Owens was in the Hall of Fame for something, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he, his talent was there. And so, um, same thing with Aaron Rodgers and, and all the others who get in trouble. It's this effect. It's this thing of saying, okay, well, if one, if this black person is loud, then you're a problem. You're a destruction. You fit the stereotype of not being that leader. That's I think that's why we still had that conversation of the intelligence of black athletes, mm. especially at the quarterback position. Mm. You know, uh, that effect has been put out there over time. Let me, let me, and, come, let me yeah. come to that in two seconds here. Okay. Um, uh, when we come forward, we'll come to this yeah. issue of the intelligence or lack thereof. Yeah. yeah. I, I was talking to some friends the other day, and we were discussing whether or not the fact that these two brothers just showed out yeah. this year in the Super Bowl. Yeah. These two black quarterbacks. First time ever, two black quarterbacks playing right. for, the, for, the, for, the, for the big trophy, the, mm -hmm. the Lombardi trophy, right? Yeah. Um, First time two black quarterbacks have done that. I, I, we were in a conversation discussing whether or not that would change the conversation. If that would be a game changer about the lack of intelligence yeah. of black athletes yeah. when those two guys performed the way they did. Let's get your take on that when we come forward. You're listening to Sean Anderson of LMU talk about his new book, The Black Athlete Revolt, only on KBLA Talk 15. So Sean Anderson uh, is our guest in this hour. His book is called The Black Athlete Revolt. Um, we were talking before the break about the issue of oh, I'm talking about Michael Jordan yeah. uh, and how Michael ended up, ended up owning that team anyway. But yeah. I, I wanted to come uh, back to this issue of intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we last teed up. And I was saying that I was in conversation the other day about uh, whether or not these two black brilliant quarterbacks yeah. in the big game this year would change the conversation, you know, long-standing about the lack of intelligence yeah. when it comes to black athletes. Now, we raise this why, because if you know anything about sports, you know, the quarterback position is the one that they say you have to be the smartest, yeah. you know, to uh, to succeed at. So that's just the that's just the the, the standard their their nomenclature. You got to be really smart to yeah. be a great quarterback yeah. in the NFL. Well, you got two brilliant guys who just put on a, an amazing performance. Mm -hmm. Does that change the conversation about the intelligence or lack thereof of black athletes? Or is that conversation still going on? I mean, it's still going on. Yeah. I mean, it's changed it ever so slightly. You know, yeah. just a couple of years ago, right, the NFL was talking about how, um, you know, we, we're going to remove this test that we used to do that, that says that, you know, intellectually, black people are behind Anyway, so mm -hmm. in bringing them into this situation, is, is going to be a, an, an issue because, you know, think about it. In times past, the intelligence, like you say, went to the white athlete to play quarterback, mm -hmm. whereas the uh, black players are just described as, oh, if they play quarterback, oh, that's an excellent athlete that can move to running back, tight end, wide receiver, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be. And we still see that um, in many cases. So, I, I you know, I, I think it's going to take – um, just like further announcements, further research um, to, you know, eradicate these false narratives uh, in addition to seeing more black athletes play the position mm -hmm. to move that needle.
Yep. When we come forward there in our remaining moments with uh, Sean M. Anderson of LMU talking about his new book, The Black Athlete Revolt, the sport justice movement in the age of Black Lives Matter, I want to offer as uh, I ask a question perhaps, um, what most concerns him about this uh, real-time black athlete revolt, uh, this revitalization of it, yep. uh, and what most heartens him about it, okay. what most concerns you, scares you, uh, and what most heartens you about this revitalization of this revolt as you see it. We'll put that to Sean Anderson when we come forward in our remaining moments with him on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's get back to Dr. Sean Anderson, professor uh, at uh, LMU. Uh, the book is called The Black Athlete Revolt, The Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter. Um, so in researching this text, let me just start with this right quick. When you write a book like this, who, who do you talk to? Who do you interview? Oh, so, you know, I, I interview student athletes. I interview uh, professional athletes, mm-hmm. lawyers, um, grassroots leaders. Okay. Um, um, again, like I say, former players. And just ask them the questions. You know, what are you seeing that is a success? Um, what can be improved? Um, it's this sport justice movement to which why I call it the sport justice movement is because we can no longer unhinge sport and politics. Mm-hmm. Right. It's been around a lot longer. Yeah. For example, than the civil rights movement. You're talking about oh, yeah. uh, post Civil War when sport and politics came came mm-hmm. together. So you Jack, know, it's, Jack, it's, Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson. Go way back. Yeah, there you exactly, go. Yeah. And so <clears throat> you know, you, you talk to those people. You talk to the legal scholars to see. Okay, well, what can be done to create some type of policy change? What what can we do to get to the point to where it doesn't sit in Congress forever yeah. and act is passed and it's really pushing forward? And so yeah. you talk to those type of people, um, you take what they say, you do your research on what's been done in the past and then project the future. There you go. Yeah. Uh, to your point about the future, let me close with this then. Um, given the research for this book, The Black Athlete Revolt, what are you most heartened by with regard to this revitalization of athletic uh, activism on the part of black people and what most troubles you? I'm heartened by the fact that um, despite all of the vitriol, despite all of the things that could come against them, they, they, they're still talking about mm-hmm. the issues. They're still um, saying that we need to change. Again, it's not a perfect uh, movement at this point, but and, and but we are getting to the point to where we can engage in that ownership conversation and all those things. Um, what <clears throat> disappoints me few things of course mm-hmm. um well i think about one we, we got a lot of sport brand activism going on at this mm. point you know you got nike making commercials and all these other places but is it lip service mm. or is it actually justice mm. you know is it actually tangible is it going to be something that's going to change or are you joining a trend that's a concern for me um the other is the, the system of you know ownership and, and front office when most of the popular sports in the United States are dominated by black athletes. I still don't like this thing to where they still feel this pressure of shut up and dribble, mm-hmm. be quiet. You know, uh, okay, we're going to put out the Black Lives Matter at the end zone or on the half court on the sideline to appease you. Mm-hmm. But is that truly going to, you know, move us forward? You know, I don't see that. It varies uh, uh, according to the sport. But I don't see it pushing the needle fast enough mm-hmm. the way we need it. And that is a concern. Yeah. yeah. Um, but are you hopeful? I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm hopeful. I'm yeah. hopeful for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one thing to, uh, to identify the problem. Uh, and it's another thing to be hopeful yeah. versus being pessimistic about it. Yeah. yeah. So at least after your research and all the work you put into the book, 
you're hopeful that um, uh, that this movement will be taken more seriously, yeah. and that will one day lead to some real meaningful change and reform for not just them, but for yeah. our people. Absolutely. Writ large. There you go. The book is called The Black Athlete Revolt, The Sport Justice Movement in the Age of Black Lives Matter. It's written by Sean M. Anderson, who is a professor at LMU. Let me just add a tenured professor <laughs> at LMU. I was teasing him during the break. He's telling me he had tenure. I said, Negro, I ain't mad at you. You got to get it. You got to get it, man, because getting tenure ain't easy to do. For me. Speak, speaking about a movement, yeah. <laughs> speaking about a revolt, yeah. it ain't easy for black professors to get to get, not. get on that tenure track and to receive tenure. But I tell you this. I'm jealous of all y'all because it don't work that way in radio. Yeah. You don't stay in the game so long, you get tenure. Yeah, doesn't yeah. work that way in television where you get tenure. <laughs> no, you can get fired any day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I ain't mad at all of my friends in academia. It's the only 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 institution I know, only field I know in the country where you get so locked in that they can't fire you. You got tenure. I wish I had tenure around here at KBLA, but I digress. Uh, Professor Anderson, good to have you in. Congrats on the book. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. That's our show for today. Time now for the uh, KBLA Midday Money Chain. Up next, the Millionaire's Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by Naja Roberts in her program, Ahead of the Crypto Curve. Old money, new money, either way, it don't matter. We got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for tuning in. Lord willing, see you here again tomorrow morning. Uh, But until then, and as always, keep the faith.